0: Cheers, my friends. Welcome to 2015 and episode 68 of the How'd You Get Into That podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. 2015 is here. How do you feel about that, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. My name is Grant. Great to have you here on this New Year's edition of the podcast. we got a great episode for you today. Great interview with a good guy and a guy who's making a little dent in the world and excited to share his journey and story with you today. But welcome to 2015. Super stoked to have a new year. Fresh start, clean slate for every single one of us. Got a new opportunity to make this year great. So uh, what are you going to do with 2015? What are you going to do to make this year great? I want to hear from you. So email me, grant Let me know what you're working on. Let me know what you're up to this year and let me know what I can do to help and support you. But let's get into today's interview. Today we are joined by my friend Wes Chapman. Wes basically helping students and helping youth that are going through like serious issues, traumas. Just dealing with some heavy, heavy stuff in life, and so he 's got an organization that 's helping students process that and, and get through that and come out on the other side. He has his own personal story of just some hardcore stuff that he 's been through and gone through, and so I wanted to share this episode with you as a reminder to just think beyond yourself as we start this new year yeah there 's a lot of things you could do to you know to make money or to find happiness or to whatever fill in the blank but there's also a huge value in just thinking beyond yourself and realizing that huge opportunity that we have is just being able to help other people. And so I love sharing episodes and stories of people that are doing that. And uh, Wes is no exception. So let's get into it. Here's my interview with Wes Chapman. Enjoy. <music> All right, my friends, welcome to another delightful episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Wes Chapman, who runs a nonprofit called A Human Project, which I'm excited to get into and share his journey and story with you today. So Wes, what is up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, my friend? I am doing delightful, quite delightful indeed. So we were recording this a few days before Thanksgiving, so we are both preparing ourselves for turkey and stuffing galore
1: exactly so some good old turkey and some football so that's all you
0: need football family and fun and i'm sure there's another f in there somewhere so yeah <laughs> all right so a human project what exactly is that what exactly do you guys do
1: well our mission statement is we are building a community of empowered youth and so what we do in a nutshell is work with youth who are in quote unquote, I like to use the word dysfunctional, but it can kind of be fairly negative. But in all reality, these are youth who are currently in situations, maybe not identified by a statistic or a stat or a government agency or something like that. So, meaning this may be somebody who's dealing with a divorced family, an alcoholic father, a unattentive mother, or it could be somebody who's got great parents, but maybe they're just dealing with a uncle who's not doing the right thing. So it's really kind of, we cast a wide net on youth that we work with, but the youth that come to us are youth who just basically feel like they're not being heard or some of their needs aren't being met, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional, their needs just aren't being taken care of.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that definitely is a wide net because even as you're describing it, students that are dealing with divorce or disconnected parents or just kind of a not less than ideal home may not be the worst of the worst, but just not a great situation. Having worked with a lot of students, I know that that's a very large percentage of them. So, what is it that you guys do to help those students in those
1: situations? So, what we've created is a roadmap, really. And we start with telling and showing these youth that they're not alone. Every charity in the world has. That can be completely different. We have everything from homeless children that we work with to girls that have been sexually assaulted by an uncle to little boys whose dads aren't there to play football with them. But whatever that is, that tends to lead to kind of some outbursts in more... I don't want to use the word crazy, but, you know, just kind of eccentric things like cutting or suicide. So the first thing that we do is we show them that they're not alone. There's 25 million youth that are identified in this classification in the United States. So we kind of bring some light to that for them. We get it more on their level with my story, with some of the volunteers that we have, with some of our storytelling. So we start with that. That's the first piece of the roadmap. And then we go into self-worth and we show them that there's something inside of them that's worthwhile. And we start to build that up. And we have a lot of different programs in which we do that. We utilize the online method because that's where these guys live, breathe and eat in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And we've created a back end portal where these kids go into and they actually are able to go through for the lack of a better term, e courses and training and all that stuff, but it's not that lame if any right, kids are right. listening. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's a lot more upbeat, a lot more entertaining. And they also earn points for doing that which I'll get to in a minute but they are those points are basically cash inside of our network and then after we've kind of built some self-worth in them we give them something to live for so we show them that dreams do come true that they can still have things that their surroundings don't necessarily dictate their outcome a lot of these kids they feel that their mom is a teen mom and that's what her and her mom, you know, maybe was a teen mom and there's this cycle that's going on and they think that that's what they have to do because that's what they quote unquote were born into and right. we show them that that's not a reality, that there's something bigger for them to live for and then that gets them Investing in themselves. Now, all of a sudden, they're spending more time honing their talents and their dreams and their aspirations, and they're building towards something. So, they're investing in themselves, which again, we provide those avenues to help them do that. And then, obviously, the last step in that is now that they know they're not alone, they have self worth, they've got something to live for, and they're investing in themselves. Now, we teach them how to give back to the community and how to actually do service projects that are meaningful for their individual communities. Interesting stuff. So is this all based offline or online or kind of a combination of both? It's a combination of both. Majority of it's done online. We're in three countries right now. And so a lot of that is done online. And then we have what's called human pods that are set up around the United States is our primary focus. But like I said, we being the age of the Internet, we don't really control where our message is being heard per se. So we do have youth that are in our program outside of the United States. But we have human pods and those human pods are volunteers who work with the youth. It sounds incredibly complicated to some levels, but it's actually very, very simple. And really what it is, is it's kind of a my background and where I've come from as a human being and what I've done and a lot of programs. Everything from the self-help world, the Boy Scout world, business and entrepreneurial world, all of those elements that have made those things successful. We just kind of took all of that stuff and made like an a la carte system, took the best from each one and put it into this program. So everything we've done and everything we've built is very proven. We've just kind of put everything together in a way that nobody has really done before. So... It's been very, very effective.
0: Interesting. Well, and you kind of alluded to it there. Of just your own story has kind of affected and led to what you're doing today. So let's backtrack a little bit. So tell us about life growing up. What was life like?
1: <laughs> well, let me just I'll just give the synopsis in the fast way I can so we can decide where we want to go. But for me, I was abandoned at one by my biological father. Then I was abandoned by my biological mother at six and a half. I tried to commit suicide 12 times before my 16th birthday every form of abuse that you can put in your head, both physically, mentally, spiritually, sexually, the whole nine yards I endured between the ages of one and 19. Mm. And that's the nutshell of it, uh, of where I came from. My life journey has had many different turns and twists and chapters at eight and a half years old. I started my first business more out of necessity than out of any kind of like, ooh, I wanna be an entrepreneur. And that led me down an entrepreneur path for 25 plus years. And, uh, you know, until I started a human project, that was my full time, everything was building businesses. And I had great successes and I had epic failures like every entrepreneur does. And so, I don't know, I guess, in a nutshell, you know, I've just kind of, I've lived a very interesting life. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world because it's made me who I am. But the backstory of my story is just the abuse, the abandonment, all of those different things. And I had three siblings. When I was abandoned at six and a half years old, I got out of the situation. I had three siblings who slowly got out, but were there longer than I was. So, How are they today? My younger brother, he is handicapped, mentally handicapped. He lives in a state uh, facility, kind of living out the last chapter of his life. My sister, were honestly, unaware of where she is. And then my brother, he is kind of putting his life back together and seems to be doing pretty well. So that's kind of what we have. And those are my immediate siblings. And then my story gets deeper and crazier and weirder because of who my father is. And I have another... 16 or 17 brothers and sisters out there that some I've met and some I haven't, some still are living and some aren't. So it's a crazy little world that uh, spins around the Chapman name.
0: So obviously you came up in a less than ideal situation and you're obviously trying to help the students that, you know, when you were in their spot several years ago. So what do you think it was that made you not become just another statistic? Because you could have just as easily continued down that path and it could have been that downward spiral. So what was it that kind of pulled you out and made you the exception? to the rule.
1: Yeah. And you nailed it. At seven and a half, my diagnosis, you know, my future was drug him up, put him in a boy's home and hope he's not in an orange jumpsuit, you know, at 20 for killing someone. That was my seven and a half year old diagnosis. So really what it came down to is I had one person who believed in me, which was my grandmother who finally ended up taking me in when I was eight and a half years old. And she believed in me. And when I say that, Look, I was a kid that between the ages of eight and sixteen. Yes, I was running businesses and I was doing things, and my first business made five hundred dollars a day. So I had some really good things to look forward to and work through. But also at the same time, all that stuff that had happened to me and was continuing to happen to me with uh, stepfathers and other situations was not being addressed. And so I was a very, very Angry little boy. And I would do everything from steal money, which it sounds weird because I had money, but I would steal money to light convenience stores on fire. So I was not a happy child. And my grandmother, when I say she believed in me through all of that, she proved that she believed in me and that she loved me. I never got away with anything. I mean, when I got caught, it was, I got caught, you know, (laughs) it was not a good thing. But there was never a moment of abandonment. There was never a conversation of giving me away or giving up on me or any of those kinds of things. And that eventually kind of stuck in and became a core element of my survival because I knew that you know this from what you work with and what you do is that 90% of the push is just to see if you're really going to stick it out. You know, A lot of people say they care, but when you're a child, you'll push that and see – you know, if they really do. And that's even a healthy child. You know, I mean, I have two children of my own and they're healthy and they've got everything going for them and they're happy and all that stuff. And so, but they'll still push, you know, they'll still, still push to see if dad really means, you know, no jumping on the couch. And so that's just part (laughs) of the development. Yeah, exactly. And so you throw abuse in there and they're just going to push even harder to see if you really, you know, if you're going to be another abuser or whatever. So, That was it. I mean, I've been asked that question a thousand times. I don't have some magical gift that nobody else has. I'm not blessed with some superpower. It just simply was she believed in me and she continued to believe in me to the point where and until the point, excuse me, where I I kind of had an aha moment in my own life and stopped being a victim and stopped doing all these actions and started really dealing with some stuff and started healing
0: I think that's just such an important life lesson there that what turned it around for you was not a group of people, not a bunch of people, but it was a single person who loved you, who believed in you, who cared about you, who's going to push through all your BS and see you as a human who just needed that care and that love and that compassion. And today
1: that for you, that's made all the difference in who you are. Exactly. In our vision statement for those out there and I know you've got some entrepreneurs and some different people that are listening, they, you know there's a difference between a mission statement and a vision statement. The vision statement is more for you personally as an organization to kind of stay on track as to why you started what you started and our last line and the mission statement is more public. The last line of our mission statement is we at a human project will change the world of many to inspire the actions of one and a lot of people you know when i was writing that and sending it to my board they're like oh you made a typo you know it should be to change the world of one to inspire the actions of many and And it actually is the reverse of that because we're looking to inspire tons of people, millions of people to find that one child, that one person that's going to believe in children, whatever it may be, to really make the difference. Because I think we get caught up in our society with numbers. You know, it's how many likes do I have? How many people come to my website? How many products have I sold? How many listeners to my podcast? You know, whatever it is, we get so caught up in numbers that we don't realize the power of one and the power of one is i mean i don't care what history lesson you want to talk about and i don't you know religious or non-religious you know you just look at what one individual on earth whether it's martin luther king or jesus christ or president obama whatever it is you just look at the power one person can have on a society both negative or positive i mean hitler you know i mean it one person can make a massive global difference and when you're talking about a child and you're talking about development you're talking about your dreams sometimes we get too caught up in trying to get a lot when we just need to focus on getting one.
0: Yeah. What were some of those early businesses that you had? And also, I guess, what was it that having come up in such a rough situation had you fascinated with entrepreneurship in general?
1: Well, the quick synopsis of the story is, is that Between the ages of six and a half and eight and a half, I was kind of bounced in and out of different places and homes and, you know, temporary foster things, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, my grandma got some temporary custody. And literally, just a few months into living with her, she became permanently disabled. She couldn't use her arms. And when I was first living with her, I had gone from all of this chaos, living in hospitals, living in, you know, group homes, living in whatever else, to living in a a really nice place you know she was well off she was a very high up executive in a governmental hospital i mean things were good and when she became disabled it was like overnight things went from being good to being just crap and you know my whole thing and there's a whole long story that i tell about this but my thing was i came down one morning and my breakfast wasn't made and things that i had come accustomed to you know weren't happening and i went to her door really to kind of be a little spoiled brat and say, hey, you know, where's my food? And I overheard her crying and, you know, just saying things like, I don't know if we can make it. I don't know if I can keep the house. I don't know this, that, you know, she was talking to somebody, a friend or whatnot. And I went out on my tire swing and just kind of had a moment with myself of just saying, you know, adults are just a waste of time. Like, I don't ever (laughs) want to become an adult. I mean, there seems to be nothing that adults can do right. And I had a very different opinion of adults uh, than most (laughs) children do. And I just kind of remember sitting on that swing, just going, you know what? I knew a little bit about money, probably more than most eight and a half year olds did because of where I was and what I dealt with in life. But I just knew that if you had money, concept of money is if you had money, you pretty much had power. And I had no power, obviously, at eight and a half. Very few do. But even in a more high-level stake, I had no power. And I knew that if I was going to get power, I needed money. And I just remember sitting on my tire swing and just kind of brainstorming and thinking of how to get money and you know everything from, well, I've got some baseball cards to I could sell my bike to you know just whatever. And uh, I was thinking very little, like $5 amounts, $10 amounts, nothing crazy. And then I just looked around my yard, that, which was my grandmother's yard, and she's a big green thumb, still is to this day. And we had about a half an acre of planted flowers and rose gardens and kinds of things on this property. And I just remember looking around going, wait a minute, every time we go to the grocery store, she buys flowers. Even though we have all of these flowers, my grandma goes to the grocery store and buys flowers. That seems kind of weird, but wait a minute what about all the other people on our road that don't have this gorgeous green thumb masterpiece yard? Right. And so I just came up with a hairbrain idea, ran in the house, grabbed a pair of scissors. My grandma was yelling at me for obvious reasons. I'm running in the house with scissors. Um, <laughs> they, they frown on that. Yeah. Plus I started hacking away at her flowers. And this is a woman who <laughs> had just gone from like, you know, corporate success to disability to, you know, being shunned very, very quickly. And now I'm cutting what's left of her pride and everything. So we can just imagine the words that were coming out of her mouth to a kid who probably a week ago had just tried to burn something down. So yeah. anyway, I just ignored her, hacked the flowers, put them in my little bike and took off down the street. And this was in the morning so I ended up spending the entire day going door to door selling flowers. And at the end of the day, I came home and she was crying and sitting on her bed and she, her arms, I'll never forget, her arms were in these sleeves. And, you know, like if you've ever injured your shoulder or something and they were pinned up against her chest, she could literally not move her arms. And I sat down next to her and she was crying and just kind of. Dealing with her day, and I sat down next to her, and I said, "I hope this helps." And I kind of took out just wads of money and threw it on her lap. And she and I have talked post obviously this story, and and uh, her first thought was, "Great, who am I apologizing to? What you know? <laughs> who's who have you robbed? What have you done, you troubled little child?" And she looked at me and said, "Where did you get all this money?" And I said, "Well." All those flowers that you were yelling at me, you know, I took them and sold them. And she and I ended up counting the money and it was uh, just over $500. And she looked at me and tears were coming down her face. And I'm just kind of looking at her like, this is ridiculous. You know, (laughs) I just gave you money and now you're crying. And she just looked at me and she just said, go sell more flowers. And that was the start. And then that turned into, you know, you run out of flowers. I ended up hiring neighbor kids. I just kind of learned that I was a cute little blonde boy. So maybe if I got a cute little blonde girl, we, you know, double our sales. Wow, we did. Then I figured, well, maybe if we get the little Jimmy down the road, maybe that'll triple our sales. Wow, it did. But the problem was, is that we were running out of flowers. And sure. But we had a bunch of people that loved seeing us come and knock on their door. And so I noticed that all these people had cars in their driveway and usually they'd have two and then one would leave and be gone all day and one would be sitting in the driveway and it was usually pretty dirty and it was a minivan or some kind of SUV and so we started offering to clean out cars and take all the trash out of cars and then that turned into washing cars in people's driveways and you know I, and we just kept morphing and then i started noticing that people's windows were dirty so we started washing windows and then i noticed that people had dirt where they should have grass and we started planting grass and i mean this just went on and for years and years and years and developing that side of the business and then probably around 15 or 16 years old, I decided, you know what, I don't really love this whole manual labor thing. That's not my passion. My passion is convincing somebody that they need to buy flowers or they need their car washed or they need this grass planted in their front yard, which then led me down the marketing path. And then I started consulting and marketing for companies. And that led to having opportunities with Microsoft and Costco and other big firms and doing really cool things at a young age and thought I could was invincible. And then learn the lessons of, of life. So yeah. it's a long journey that it's gone through. And at the same time, I'm this broken child. And, and it's actually something that I speak about is the Iron Man. I call it the Iron Man syndrome is that I had created the Iron Man syndrome in my own life where – Literally, and I still, to this day, and it's not a bragging thing, it's just a thing. You know, I have suits in my closet that cost more than some people's cars. And that was my protection. That When I put that suit on, I was Wes Chapman, the business guy. I was not a broken six-year-old boy. I was not a fatherless child. I was invincible. And when I took that suit off, a.k.a. came home or dealt with friends or dealt with anything like that, I was a wreck. I was horrible inside of myself. I was trying to become something. Uh, At the same time, I wasn't being honest with myself. I wasn't healing myself. And that eventually caught up with me and reared its ugly head in several different ways. But I talk about that, that how many times do we put on these suits, right? How many times do we go out there pretending to be something that we're not? And we hear the phrase, which is just asinine to me this fake it till you make it phrase that's so counterproductive to human psychology and and human development Uh, you don't need to fake anything you need to be who you are and be very honest with that and grow i mean that's it that's what we do so
0: obviously you had some success as a kid as an entrepreneur and then even coming up into the corporate world and doing some consulting
1: stuff at what point did you decide to shift gears a little bit and start the human project I didn't decide that. And to be honest with you, the I'm a religious guy. So, you know, for those that aren't, I apologize. Uh, but for me, it's very, very important in my life. And it wasn't me that made this decision for a human project. This was completely the locomotive of God running me over several times until I finally got the message. The short end of the story is about five years ago, I started on kind of, I need to change my life journey you do the same thing for 10, 20, 30 years and you get bored of it. You know, for me, sure. I was, I was in this like 18, 19 plus year thing of kind of doing the same thing. And I thought there's got to be more to life. I really want to make a difference. Making money's cool. I'd actually gone through a process where I made a lot of money and then had some setbacks and I was just kind of sick of it. And so I started on a personal journey and, I was going to be a motivational speaker. And I hooked up with Les Brown and Bob Proctor and, you know, all these amazing, you know, self-help, amazing speakers and uh, started getting some training and started doing some stuff. Then I just, you know, had a moment like, God, I don't want to be a public speaker. This isn't what I want to do. You know, this, this isn't the greatest idea in the world. Chapman, what are you doing? And at the same time, I started volunteering more. I started telling my story more. I started doing more interviews like this. And more and more people is kept hearing what I had to say. And long story short, I ended up speaking at a middle school in Hemet, California. And that changed my life forever. That middle school was the birthplace of a human project. It will always be something special in my life. But it was a combination of kind of all of these turns and wiggles and movements that had led me to that school, which was like I said, it was literally a four year journey that led me to that school. And what happened inside of those four walls in that school is what ultimately bird a human project. What happened there? So it's Hemet School District. And for those of you who don't know where Hemet is, it's basically like an hour south of LA, but more inland in California. It's not a horrible place. It's not a crazy place, but it's a little farm community. And I got asked to speak in Hemet. And I'm not, I just moved to California. So when somebody asks me, you know, can you come to XYZ City? I just always assume it's a subdivision of La Jolla or 15 minutes from LA. You know I mean? That's right. it. And yeah. um, Hemet was not. Hemet was three hours from where I lived at the time. And so I first it was like, oh, crap, this little 15-minute spiel is now going to be six hours and 15 minutes with driving. And so then I started, like any speaker that's trained, I started wanting to know about my audience. And so I asked the, the principal to tell me a little bit about the school. And he sent me some statistics about bullying and different things. And those statistics were that they'd had bullying attacks that were ranging everything from kids getting lit on fire to kids faces getting beat in by razor scooters. They had 70 plus suicide attempts in the school year thus far. And the school year was not even halfway over at this point. Uh, it just all kinds of just crazy statistics about the school. And I'm like, what is this? Like, am I going into, you know, freaking ground zero of of schools? And then, of course, he told me it was a middle school, which, you know, that's 12-year-old to 15-year-old kids, 14-year-old kids. And I'm like, what in the heck am I going into? On top of that, I had been asked to speak at this school by one of the largest nonprofits in California, who had been around for 20 plus years, they reach 7 million kids a year. You know, it's a big deal. And so I was like, I had the pressure of that. And on top of that, I have no problem going into a prison, going into a boy's home, going into a foster place. I'll just lay it on the line, talk to them how it is. I don't need to worry about anything. There's nothing really going to happen if I say something. I can't really offend anybody in that situation. But as a public school scenario, I was a little worried. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know who I'm speaking to. Yeah, there's these 70 kids that, you know, have maybe tried to commit suicide. But what if there's like 20 kids in there whose families are really well off? And you know, mom doesn't like them to hear about certain things. And I had all these kind of ideas in my head that I was going to get sued. And I wasn't going to do a good job for this nonprofit that i had volunteered my time for and really was in me, you know, I was just all these fears about like My person, who I was, what I was going to do, what was I going to wear? You know, the night before, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've done this at some level. Like the the night before, I'm like Googling like seventh grade jokes. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I don't know what the heck, man. Like, what am I supposed to say to a bunch of seventh and eighth graders to get them to, you know, listen to me? So I had a skit. I brought props, the whole nine yards. And so I get there, and they had a band that was going to perform. And the main singer at the time, who's amazing, the kid's been signed by Jason Mraz and all this stuff. Like, he's freaking insane. And he's terrified. He's like, I don't think these kids are going (laughs) to like me. And, All this stuff, and I'm just like, you know, I'm the grown adult in the back room, and I'm like, well, you know, it's cool, dude. You'll do rel, and at the same time, I'm like, man, why? Where's somebody telling me this? You know, if they they don't like you, they're definitely not gonna like me. (laughs) Exactly. And so then, yeah, and he's like bleach blonde hair, fifteen year old, you know, blue eyes. I'm like, yeah, okay. If you're nervous, then what's this bald guy got going for him? And so then the principal came up to me, and this was like in a like. Music auditorium thing, like cafeteria. It wasn't like a full-edged, you know, like big auditorium. And he comes into me and he says, Hey, I read your bio online. I've seen a couple of your videos. Would you mind if I bring in more students? And there were supposed to be about 150, 200 students. And what I was told is these were kind of like the kids that were trying to achieve more. You know, they were going to band practice and they had bees. You know, these were kind of the quote-unquote good kids. And I was like, that's between you and the fire marshal kind of hoping that that would trigger his mind to be like oh yeah you're right you know we're already at capacity no it didn't um he uh-huh. basically decided to to fill the room and they ended up putting over 700 kids in this little auditorium that really honestly should maybe fit 200 people kids were sitting on each other's laps they were in the hallways the stage you know had basically been eradicated because kids were sitting right up against it. I mean, it was an insane moment. I took a selfie of it, which I never do, but it ended up being a cool moment. But
0: let me ask you this to jump in. Like once that kind of wraps up uh, and you have this like epiphany, like I want to continue to help these kids. Where do you even begin to create an organization, a nonprofit and to create something on a larger scale? Because I'm thinking, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm like, maybe I've had that moment where it's like I've seen what I'd like to do in the future and I see this thing that I'd like to create. I just don't even know where to begin. So yeah. how do you begin to take some moment in a middle school in rural California and create an organization out of it? Walk us through that.
1: Yeah. So and again, I, I know it's a long story. So I'll just get to the punchline is the punchline is that I got on stage, biffed it did not do well, and could not get their attention. It was like something out the Michelle Pfeiffer movie, uh, Dangerous Minds. And I had a moment with myself, and I just said, you know what, this isn't about me, this is about them. And I changed my language, and I changed what I was saying, and, and really kind of hit home. And the audience was very receptive to that. My 15-minute speech ended up being almost four hours, as I had almost 200 kids come up to me afterwards and just one by one tell me their stories. And that as you said, sparked this like, okay, wait, there's something more that I can do here. There's something more that can happen here. And so I'm an action guy. I end my podcast that I do, you know, with this is Wes Chapman, take action. Because to me, everything else is is great. You know, you gotta have a plan, you gotta have all this stuff. But if you're not taking action, nothing is relevant. So to your question, how do you do that? I mean there's no simple answer. I mean, for me, it was I was up till three in the morning making phone calls to everybody that I knew. And the next morning I had an attorney on the hook. The next day we filed the paperwork and the next day, you know, I started, you know, so it was really this all went down on April 8th of 2014. And by April 11th, 2014, I was full board doing this, you know, so have we learned a lot? Yeah. So I mean, if you're sitting there and you're like, you know, I just want to do something and I want to change the world or I want to start a nonprofit or I want to start a business or I want to make a better life for myself. All the sitting there and saying that is great, but you got to do it. And then realize that while you're doing things, there are going to be issues. You know, you are going to make mistakes and you do have to kind of swerve and move a little bit. And I'm not belittling the process. I mean, I literally did not sleep for three days because I was mapping out a business. You know, I was on fire as, you know, just take something from Mr. Dumas. You know, I was just literally on purpose for what I was doing. And so sleep and eating and all that stuff was just, it was secondary. I mean, my fiance was like shoving food in my mouth while I was <laughs> writing notes down on a whiteboard. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't have a plan and I just got up and I was like, cool, I'm going to start a nonprofit and that'll be awesome. I mean, it was, an immense amount of planning, and those that have like come in and are on my board, which are phenomenal board members, those that have looked at my plan and looked at what we're doing, and you know we just kind of scratched the surface of it. You go to our website, you read what's going on. I mean, it is a very, very in-depth, long-term plan. This isn't like, all right, we're gonna you know give these kids backpacks full of awesome motivational books. I mean, that's that's not what we're doing. We're getting dirty with these kids and playing in the playground with them and helping them and loving them and teaching them. And this is not a, you know, this is not something that's just a little, like I said, a backpack with some motivational books in it. And and there's a whole business plan behind it. So you do need to have a plan, but you don't need to sit there and have this, you know, I've got a buddy right now who I love to death, but he's had a plan for six years. And he and I just had a conversation yesterday and I just said, dude, execute your plan. Well, what if it's not the right plan? What if I haven't thought of everything? Well, goodness gracious, you'll figure it out when you're doing it because I don't care how many thoughts and how many ideas you think you have. Once you get out there, things change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I like that. I think you just have to, you get to a point where you just have to start somewhere and you don't know what you don't know, but you're not going to figure anything out unless you actually, you pull the trigger and start to make some type of progress, or as you say, just taking some type of action there. So, so Wes, really good stuff, man. Hey, if we want to find out more about a
1: human project or just uh, learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing and creating, where can we go? Everybody's busy. just go to a humanproject.com, just focus on the kids, focus on their stories, focus on what's going on there. I mean, if you've got time, you can Google me. It's not hard to find me, but just go to a humanproject.com and if you got time for one click, click on the click that says or the link that says stories. And just listen to the kids' stories and the youth stories who've gone through our program because that's more you know that's more on purpose than anything I can say
0: cool, man. We'll definitely link up to that in the show notes and have people definitely stop by and check that out. So good talking with you, man. I appreciate you sharing your journey and we'll catch up with you soon. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, my friends. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview, that conversation with my buddy Wes Chapman of uh, A Human Project. Great stuff that he's doing really to help youth all over the U.S. and all around the world. And so I would encourage you to check out what they're doing. You can go to ahumanproject.com to learn more about what they're up to. You can also go to grandbaldo.com slash Wes Chapman, W-E-S Chapman. C H A P M A N. Look up the show notes, links, everything we discussed in today's episode. Make sure you check that out and uh, see what, what they're up to. They're a really cool organization doing a great work. But again, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, I like Wes's story because it you know it causes you to think beyond yourself. What is it that you have that you can contribute to the world? How is it that you can make a dent? And one of the things I like about Wes's story is how he's helping to solve the pain that he had as a child he grew up in and obviously as you heard a less than ideal situation and circumstances and you know the unfortunate thing is you have no choice who your parents are or the situation that you may grow up in but what can you do about that now how can you help alleviate that pain that maybe you experienced and you know maybe it's nothing as traumatic as what Wes had but maybe there's some type of something that happened to you when you were growing up that you're just like man if i can help someone else not have to deal with that not have to suffer through that not have to experience the pain or hardship that i did Boy, that'd be really cool. What would that thing be? And so again, think back through to to maybe uh, what you experienced as a child, as a teenager, even as a young adult, or what was it that you've gone through in life that maybe you could help other people with, but I encourage you and challenge you to think beyond yourself. Well, we are in 2015 now. Got a great year ahead of us. I'm excited about the new year. Excited about the podcast. Some stuff we've got coming up. A lot of great interviews that we've got ahead in the next several weeks and months. But I would love to hear from you. Grant at GrantBaldwin.com. Email me anytime. You can hit me up on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. Uh, but always enjoy hearing from people that are listening to the show. I want to know how it's helping you. What I can do to support you as you're trying to sort through and figure out life and where your life is headed and what you're doing to make 2015 great. So here's one thing I want you to do. I want you to email me again. Grant at GrantBaldwin.com. And I want to hear from you. What are your goals for 2015? What are you going to be working on? What are you going to do to make this year your best year yet? I want to hear some specific things that you can do. And let me know what I can do to help you and support you. Because as I always say it, I don't want to sound cheesy or corny, but I, I dig you. I really believe in you. I'm cheering for you. I'm rooting for you. So whatever I can do to help you, I'm in. I want to do it. So yeah, that about wraps up this episode. So we will be coming at you again very soon with some more delicious knowledge baked goodness. Peace out, my friends. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get
0: Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for
1: all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.